You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name, as always, Connor Halley. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. And before we get to our guest here, just want to give a quick shout-out to DraftKings. If you're going to sign up today, make sure to use promo code THPN. When you do so, it'll help you out quite a bit. A lot's going on, of course. You've got hockey, the NBA, NFL for a couple more weeks. Also, UFC, golf, lots of fun to be had at DraftKings. And like I said, promo code THPN for the Edmonton Oilers. Since the last time we spoke, only one game was played. The Oilers falling to the Toronto Maple Leafs out in Toronto, the final 4-2. More of a 3-2 game with an empty netter. The Oilers uh, without a couple key players in that one. Of course, Connor McDavid and Derek Ryan due to COVID. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins also missing that one. Uh, the Oilers now, hopefully, will be back in action on a Monday when they take on the Ottawa Senators. It's an 8 o'clock puck drop for those looking to tune in for pregame coverage. Tom Cazola, Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered on TSN 1260 beginning at 6.30, assuming that game gets played because the Sens have had a few games postponed already, uh, set to take on the Kraken as well as Vancouver Canucks. Both those games will not be happening. So we'll see if it happens on Monday night. Uh, but we'll talk about that and a lot more with our next guest. He is the host of the Lowdown with Low Tide. He writes at The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Low Tide. Alan Mitchell joins me. Al, how are you doing today? I'm very well. I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the Oilers' next game, wherever it is. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were a betting man, just looking at this and the way the Sens games are being postponed, do you think it's going to happen on Monday night? I think it's probably less than fifty-fifty, to be honest <laughs> with you. I, I like I know why they're doing it. I know that that uh, I read somewhere I can't remember the total, but the Oilers' home games are worth like a couple of million bucks, and it's it's. Uh, I think it, it makes more sense. If you look at every game as a pool, the NHL and the NHLPA are pretty open about what the value is on everything. So if you move five games from, say, January to February, if you're the others, uh, home games, that's like you know $10 million in the pool of, of whatever it's going to be, 4 or $5 billion. It doesn't sound like a lot, but if you add it all over the uh, entire National Hockey League, moving them for a few games, it's going to be hectic, and I think that, that it probably dilutes the, the quality of hockey, but I understand it, and, and it's a business. We have to remember that. It is a business. So, Al, yeah, we, we will hope that this game does happen. Uh, like you, though, uh, I, I think under 50% is more likely, and to be totally honest with you, if they reschedule this game, I hope it's like a 7 o'clock start, because if it is an 8 o'clock start, Tom and I have to do a two-hour pregame show. You know, it's a little bit later. I, I know you and I both like to go to bed a little bit earlier than, than that game would allow us to, so, I mean, maybe I'm biased here, but I'm a big fan of, like, you know, 7 o'clock starts at the latest. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that 7 o'clock start gives everybody a chance to get home after work, say 5, you get home, you, you change, you get ready, or you have a meal downtown and then you go to the game. So it, it, I think it works out better for Edmontonians to start it. It's 8 o'clock. I know they do it for TV, but it's late. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, for, for the East Coast people, right? Like, if you're a Sens fan, you're staying up to 10 o'clock to watch that one. Um, if you're someone just on the East Coast that maybe wants to watch Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, assuming the game is played, it, it just seems like a missed opportunity. And we could probably do a whole show about that. Uh, I could rant about the Oilers or, you know, the stars of the NHL not being marketed properly. But uh, that would take us off on a whole other tangent here. Uh, some news from practice down today. Uh, multiple reports coming out that Kyler Yamamoto was taken off the ice, uh, tested positive with covid I mean, this is something we thought the Oilers had already gone through, but it's almost like in society that second wave is taking a run at some of the other players now. Well, this one is uh, like it just is taking everybody. I think I, you know, somebody said the other day, uh, you're, everybody's going to get it eventually, and this might be the one. And so I, you know, from what we understand, it's less serious than previous strains. If you've been vaxxed, you should be okay, or at least you you should be, uh, it shouldn't be, you know, a hospital uh, uh, issue for you. So from that point of view, it's good, but avoid it if you can, obviously. But this one just apparently is just so easy to catch. Yeah, I mean, and, and I feel like, you know, it's, it's gone through our building. I, I feel like anyone who's listening to this and knows people or, or works in a business or out and about family members probably know somebody who's come down with it. And, and thankfully, from what I've heard, the symptoms aren't quite as bad, which you hope is the case for the guys who tested positive, Connor McDavid, Derek Ryan, uh, potentially Kyler Yamamoto here. Just what have you made of Kyler Yamamoto this year? Because he does tend to be a bit of a polarizing character. I've, I've heard some people, you know, be critical of the, the lack of scoring on five on five. But at the same time, he, he's a hard worker. He creates opportunities. He draws penalties. Maybe not so much as of late because the Oilers can't buy a call. But what have you thought of his play this year as a whole? Well, you know, I, I, I've been impressed by him in that he has not, uh, his play away from the puck hasn't suffered, even though he was going through a really, really tough time uh, getting the puck in the net. Now, he's improved uh, in the last little while. He's still not scoring at the rates you want him to when he's playing on a line with, with uh, Leon Dreisaitl. One thing that I think that he needs to do, though, is shoot the puck more. He's really well below a point, a shot per game uh, on that, that dry side of line. If he's going to stay there long term, he just has to shoot the puck more. And, and it, I think it's something he prefers to pass. But if he gets a little more selfish, I think he'll have more success and he'll help the line more. Now, uh, down at practice today for the Oilers, uh, that wasn't the only big news. Uh, of course, former first-round pick Dylan Holloway was skating with the team uh, for the first time out there with a dry saddle and Fogel. Now, I mean, I, I don't think that's uh, something we're going to see, but just how, how exciting is it to see Dylan Holloway, a guy that we've talked about quite a bit as of late, uh, or the last couple of years even, and, and seeing him finally get out there with the big club? It's huge because the Oilers right now, and this is a situation that, that uh, happens from time to time when you're developing players, they have a lot of defensemen down in the minors who are pushing up to make the NHL, Broberg, Nima Leinen, uh, Lajeson, uh, we've seen all of those guys this year, Dimitri Samarikov very briefly. But the forward group is, is a little bit low. There's Cooper Marodi, Seth Griffith, uh, and, and you're kind of waiting for that next wave, maybe you're Raphael Lavoie. Well, Holloway isn't that far away. And so him being, you know, likely headed to Bakersfield, maybe for the rest of this year, 
could maybe get a recall at the end of the year. That's encouraging because if he's healthy, he's one of the one or two top prospects in the system. And they really need it. They need another forward who can come up here, a big man who can skate well, check pretty well, and score some too. That's exactly what the doctor ordered for the Oilers. Now, how would you handle it? I mean, obviously we have to wait and see how it goes down. And I, I know Gregor had said the full expectation is for this uh, the team to send him back down to Bakersfield and, and hopefully, you know, get, get a, I mean, just get back into game shape. Obviously he hasn't played this year. Uh, do you, do you expect to see him with the Oilers this season? It'll all depend on what he does down there. They'll want to make really good and sure that he's ready, and that's like game ready and game shape ready, but also dominating the AHL. Uh, when he was in college, he he really burst forth uh, in his second year and, and became something more than was anticipated. And they'll want to see that. They'll want to see him at a point per game or so. I think down in the AHL, it could happen, and they need him, as I mentioned. Like they could they could really use a guy with size and speed. Uh, uh, and and so whether they put him in the middle or on the wing, he's a guy, once he's ready, he'll come. But they'll want to see it in the minor leagues. And there's really no way to, to judge that. We've got to wait and see what he does down there. And, I mean, to me, that that's the perfect spot for him, just going down there, the, the way Jay Woodcroft and his coaching staff have handled these young players and developed them. Like, I mean, uh, they're right in our own backyard, so we see it a little bit closer. But, you know, he... From what from what I've seen the last couple of years, the Oilers have done a good of job as any of you know developing these players and and having them ready when they jump up into the NHL. And I think Dave Manson deserves a lot of credit as well down there because you know the defensemen he's had to help groom along have jumped up and had to contribute immediately this season. The the, the Oilers are like I can remember twenty years ago when they'd call out the Sani or Shamara or Sean Horkoff. Uh, and, and they'd have an immediate in, impact. And then there was a long period where that did not happen, and now we're back to it. I, I would say, beginning with Ethan Bear uh, and Caleb Jones and that group, but continuing through the last several years, even guys like, like Patrick Russell, who are you know, sort of uh, extra players, have played well. Uh, I think Woodcroft and Manson and Hula, when he was there, have done a really good job of preparing these players and, and almost acting like they're already in the NHL down there and creating expectations that are really high. And when they get here, they're not overwhelmed by it. And I remember years and years where that did not happen. And the owners are lucky to have those two down on the farm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, going back to last year, uh, I think this year's been a bit of a struggle for the Condors, uh, kind of middle of the pack in the Pacific Division. But last year, developing players, but at the same time winning. And I, I think that's crucial, developing those winning habits and, and realizing the things that the coaching staff are telling you translate on the ice for not only individual success, but team success. And this is carrying that on to the next level in the NHL. Uh, do you think Jay Woodcroft is starting to get maybe garner a little more attention from the NHL? I know he was obviously an assistant with Todd McClellan for a long time, but uh, now the head coach in Bakersfield. Do you think he might be getting some phone calls in the next couple of years here? Oh, yeah, I think so. I know Elliot Friedman mentioned him sometime last year, maybe in the summertime, as a guy who's a future National Hockey League coach. And you can see it. The, the, uh, even this year, where they haven't had really uh, a goaltender of AHL starting caliber for the most part, as soon as Skinner got down there, they started winning again. Mm-hmm. And and he's got these players playing at a high level. He knows they're all the players 
uh, in Edmonton, so he'd probably be a good fit here more than any other place. But having said that, I, I think he's ready. He's obviously uh, a very good motivator. When he talks, you can tell he pays a lot of attention to things that are that are uh, more advanced and, and analytics-oriented. Uh, he's the full-meal deal. I think he's going to be a really good NHL coach, and he's not far away. It could be maybe this year, calendar year 2022, where he makes the National Hockey League. Yeah, and, and that would be awesome. Like He's, he's such a nice guy off the ice. Uh, he, obviously, he comes on with Gregor and Strutty every once in a while, and uh, super nice to me when I give him the phone call. So I hope the best for him, and obviously the results are showing that he knows what he's doing down there. Uh, let's just stay with the coaching topic, because uh, head coach Dave Tippett for the Oilers right now seems to be under fire from a lot of the fan base, whether it's the handling of Miko Koskinen or, or the lines, or using timeouts or not using timeouts. There seems to be a lot of critics with Dave Tippett this year. Uh, what have you thought of his the job that he's done so far? Well, I think they started out really well. Everything was going exceptionally well till the end of November, and then they fell off, and then there were COVID injuries, and, and uh, the entire left side of the defense disappeared. I understand people getting uh, frustrated because they they do seem to be stubborn on some things. Uh, they brought Evan Bouchard on uh, very slowly. And last year, he didn't play much at all. He's playing more uh, this year. But I, I think you also have to look at roster construction, and that's not the coach's issue. Uh, it looks like Duncan Keith and Cody Cece are playing much better now. At five-on-five, five, they've really improved uh, lately. I... It, it, in, in all honesty, I, I think the, the proper route would be to stay with Tippett until the end of the year and make your call, let him have playoff success or not, and make the call with the coach. I think that's what a Holland may do, but I'm not absolutely certain of it. Uh, I, I can see why you'd make the change, but I don't think it's absolutely 100% necessary. A lot of fans do, but I, I'm not there. Now, I mean, going into that that side, I know Paul Maurice was a name that a lot of fans have thrown out there, and I've heard from a few people that that's not going to happen. Like, he, he wants to take the year off, and I think he's earned it. He, he had a pretty good run in Winnipeg. I, I don't think he's going to be coming to the be- uh, back to the bench this quickly. Is, is there any names that, if it were to happen, and let's just say, let's, let's not even look at this year, because who knows what will happen, but... Let's say Tippett's not re-signed. They decide to mutually part ways. Is there any names that you think would be a good fit? Well, the, the obvious one, and we've talked about him, is, is uh, Woodcroft. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I haven't looked at specific names, but I will say this. What I, what I do like about what Ken Holland has done in the past is he hasn't just grabbed somebody from the uh, veteran coaching tree. And, and, you know, by that I mean like Claude Julien or, or one of those groups. Not to say there's anything wrong with that. But I do think this team needs an injection of youth, uh, an adoption of some, some pretty basic uh, um, analytics uh, uh, information that, that will help them. Uh, and, and I think there, there needs to be a little bit more creativity. Uh, certainly when the, the, the pairings got stale and, and the dry sidle line got stale, there was a, a slowness to adjust to that. I think that, that a, a fresh voice and maybe a newer coach, somebody who could come in and, and uh, maybe open things up for everybody and give fresh ideas to in the room. I think that's probably what you want to look at. I'm thinking younger coach, but it, is, it doesn't have to be. It could be somebody who's an older coach who has adopted some good new ideas. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've long said it. I always feel like you know, coaches have a shelf life, and especially if you're you're not winning and, and not trending in the right direction, and eventually players are going to hear the same old things, and it's not working, and you know they they might tune them out. If you were Dave Tippett, would you want to come back to this team if it was up to you? Well, I, th- I think it all depends on what happens in the playoffs. I think I think Tippett is like he's. He, this is his final year, but I think he and the Oilers and certainly Ken Holland really feel like they're farther along than they've shown in the two playoff seasons. Now, he may not get an opportunity to show what he can do in the third year, and maybe he doesn't deserve that or hasn't earned it, but that was the, that was the plan in the beginning of the year, in the summertime and in the fall, and, and so many things can go wrong, Connor, when you bring somebody new in. I'll give you an example. Remember when Todd McClellan was fired? and Ken Hitchcock took over. They, He and Shirelli and a bunch of guys went down to Bakersfield to watch the Condors, and Hitchcock, God love him, convinced Shirelli that he could save Yesopolia Yarby, who got recalled again to the NHL, and then it didn't work out. He got sent back, and then that was the beginning of the fracture between Polia Yarby and the organization. So it, it, you're... You're better off, I think, in the clear light of day, in the summertime, making these sober, big decisions than doing something, you know, halfway, which is what you often get during the regular year. And, and a new coach is going to come in and evaluate players totally differently than Dave Tippett does. Hockey fans, drafting Sportsbook, an official sports bidding partner of the NHL, is a no-brainer offer that will make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets. If either team scores a goal, that's promo code THPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER if I was Ken Holland and obviously I'm not but I, I think I would have a serious discussion obviously with Tippett but I'd be talking to the leadership group of this team you know obviously Connor McDavid Leon Dry Settle Nuge uh Mike Smith is a guy obviously who's going to be around for one more year unless something happens but Darnell Nurse Maybe even Duncan Keith, just to see what they think. Uh, is is that something you would do, or do you think Tippett has to make this, or sorry, Ken Holland has to make this decision on his own? I, I think it's tough. I think you would, you would, you know, you'd know if you're Holland, you'd know the the sense in the room. One of the things that that we can't ever know, uh, but we'll know when when it happens if they do let Tippett go, is the the mood in the room. I haven't seen this team give up on the coach. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl said it the other night, nobody's given up on anybody. But in, in, there does come a point where it, it's it's too difficult for everybody to, to uh, have success. And and they had such a poor December, 3-7-1. and one. They, they just weren't close to being good enough. And and if, if you can't get back from there, if you can't get... Uh, 
turn it around in January here. Then you're going to have to make a move. What what Holland is facing now is the opportunity in terms of time away from playing games. He could bring a new coach in, and that coach could train up these players. Uh, and by the time they play another game, uh, well, it's not Ottawa, but after that, they, they'd have a complete new field of them, and the coach would be more comfortable. So the timing is ideal. Now, if he doesn't do it now, I doubt he does it at all. And then we're probably looking at a trade for a goaltender. Uh, I, I loved when the question was brought up, and I think it was after the Toronto game, about guys kind of quitting on the coach, and Leon Dreisaitl, he, he jumped over the reporter, and it was like, nobody's quitting, nobody's doing that. Like that, that, it, it's not much, and some people might write it off, but to me, that was a good sign to see that, you know, there is a little frustration there, and they're, they're not just sitting back, because on the ice for long portions of that losing streak, I mean, it looks kind of like it was just accepting it, and there wasn't much urgency, but, uh, I, I like to see that, and, and hopefully they can turn things around. Just sticking with uh, General Manager Ken Holland, since we've talked about him a little bit here, I, I think it's fair to to question what he's done this season and you know where we are right now. Do you think he did enough this past off season and made the right moves? And a lot of people will jump to to Duncan Keith and potentially saying that you know had you been able to get to Chicago to retain some money, it might have been a little bit better, could have helped you in it, in other areas. But what have you thought of his job? Where we are right now? I think he made a misstep, and it happens. And I'm not like saying, you know, uh, fire him today, but I think he overvalued Duncan Keith. The, the Zach Hyman addition made complete sense. Uh, the other bets that he made, I think Cody Cece has played well. Uh, he didn't know Mike Smith was going to get hurt, although, you know, he's an older player. But, and Duncan Keith has come around. I want to be clear here. In the last seven games at five on five, the owners are nine goals for, and I think it's four against while Keith is on the ice. He's played really well. But the cost was the thing. The fact that it was Duncan Keith and his salary meant they couldn't go out and improve in another area. So they couldn't get that third line center or they couldn't get the upgrade in goal. And I think that's where Smith, where Tippett, I'm sorry, where Holland, uh, made a misstep. And, and it, it, like, it comes down to value, right, Connor? Like, he valued Duncan Keith to the point where he said, I will take on his contract. I will give up Caleb Jones. I will give up a draft pick. And I think that's good value. But what, what it shows is, and I hate to get back to analytics, but I think if they had more of an analytics, uh, force on their, on their team, somebody would be able to show that that's, that was a, an overpayment by quite a bit because the $3 million alone has value. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs traded Patrick Mar- Marlowe, uh, and they had to give up a first-round pick to get rid of him. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that Duncan Keith is Patrick Marlowe, but he's an older player with a, a big salary. And credit to Chicago, they made a hell of a deal. But I think that's one area that, that uh, Mr. Holland can be uh, criticized for because that was an overpay of, of some of some some length. What what is the Oilers analytics department like? Do you, do you know how much they they put the analytics into their decision making? Well, they talk about analytics, and they do have a couple of guys who are, I'm sure, very bright. Uh, anybody who gets hired in an analytics department has to be uh, way smarter than I am, I'm sure. But it, it's, you know, I've talked to people who've been hired by NHL teams and then, you know, gone away uh, and come back into the regular world, as it were. And, and often the frustration that they express is that they're, 
their recommendations are, are presented, but they're not adopted. And so I mm-hmm. think there can be, you can work for, I think we're seeing that in Seattle now, uh, certainly with the expansion draft. They've got a great analytics department, but their expansion draft wasn't necessarily reflective of analytics. So, and I'm, I'm obviously presupposing here that Ron Francis wasn't listening, but sometimes the key isn't necessarily getting the right information or assessing the right information. It's passing it along to the leader of the team, i.e. the general manager, in a way that he can understand it and it makes sense. And that's communication. So you're asking math people to communicate, and that's a problem. <laughs> well, why can't they find a number to to somehow make it work or something like that? Isn't there a calculation, a spreadsheet they could show? Like, make, make this happen. <laughs> I'll tell you, there, there are... There are so many ways to interpret, uh, like look at Leon Dreisaitl's line right now. They, they, you know, if you go back two years, they're fantastic. They get outshot, but they outscore the opposition by a bunch. But, but month by month in just little increments, they're, they're scoring less. And you reach a point where it's a point of no return. I think the owners have to make an adjustment, and they haven't yet. I, I believe that a smart analytics department, uh, i.e. maybe the audit analytics department, is making that case, but it's not being adopted yet. And, and uh, there, there is a generation gap, there's a math gap, there's a communication gap, and I think it happens in most NHL cities. But in, in the auditor situation, I just think that, that they're slow to adopt, and that's really having an impact on them. Al, I got a couple of questions for you regarding the goaltending. I guess my first question will be this. What do you do with Stuart Skinner? You play him. Like, right now, I would, I would call him up and I'd play him over Smith or Koskinen. I would, I would, you know, you, you could put one on the, the, uh, because you wouldn't even need LTIR, you would just put them on the taxi squad. But I, I would do that. I'd put probably Koskinen on the taxi squad, and I'd play Stuart Skinner. Because right now they're not even a playoff team, not really. So this isn't really high pressure. Give Stuart Skinner five games as the starter, see what he does. There's there's a window here of opportunity for the owners to do that, and he's been their best goalie, Connor, so w- why wouldn't you give your best goalie an opportunity to grab that job? <laughs> he's been their best goalie. I had a Twitter poll last week. I said, which Oilers goalie are you most confident in? Many people said none of the above, but Stuart Skinner led the way with 71% of the 1,000 votes. So it, it seems like you know the, the numbers say he's the best, the eye test from the fans say he's the best. It would be great to see him out there more. And at least if he makes a mistake, it's a guy who's you know young and learning, and and you hope learns from those things rather than Miko Koskinen, who's you know the veteran on his way out. And uh, that leads me to my next question, Al. Where is Miko Koskinen next year? I asked Gregor and Struddy this yesterday on five questions. Uh, Struddy said the KHL. Gregor had backup in the NHL. What do you think? Okay, this is going to be the. You'll either love this answer or hate it. I think he will go to like uh, a really smart team for two million dollars, and they're going to try to save him. Because here's the thing that is uh, there's something unique with Miko Koskinen. I honestly think he could stop pucks if he didn't move. He's that big, and and people get mad at him because the. You know, they've always got a, 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 like a slow glove. But if, if the shooter is going to hit the net, depending upon where he releases it and the torque on it, 
goalies aren't going to react to it anyway in time. It's going to go in the net. But Koskinen has, there are some things about him that need to be improved. I think mental toughness might be a part of it, and I'm not suggesting he's weak-minded or anything, but I do think the beginning of games has gotten into his head a little bit. And It's like in golf when you've got the yips, right, where, where maybe he's thinking too much or he's too afraid to make a mistake. But I think there's a goalie there, and he's so big. And the NHL loves big goalies so much. I think he'll show up for $2 million in Detroit or Carolina or possibly Toronto. Um, I, I kind of like the mayhem that that would create. So that put me on the side of the loves it. I don't like to see anyone struggle the way he has. And it's been such a roller coaster with Miko Koskinen. There, there was optimism. And then, you know, he got the contract from Chiarelli and everyone ripped on him. And then all the weak goals, everyone ripped on him. And then Dave Tippett ripped on him. And then everyone went to defend him. Like it just, it's been all over the place when it comes to Miko Koskin. And like I, I saw people defending him and then I went back and looked at their Twitter history and like they ripped him too. So it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty well, crazy when it comes to him. Very polarizing. Goaltending is tough. I remember, uh, Mike Milbury, uh, yelled at Tommy Sallow at practice for the, when he was the auditor's coach so much. Sallow cried and then Milbury traded him. And, <laughs> and like it's a tough position to play. And, and, even even the really really tough mentally tough goaltenders go through difficult times. So I think Koskinen can have a career. I don't think you know, he may choose to go to the KHL, but he can have a career here. And I, I I almost guarantee there's some GM and goalie coach out there just waiting in the weeds to get Koskinen at a really good value. And uh, the, you know certainly Devin Dubnik resuscitated his career after leaving the orders yeah. as it can Talbot. Koskinen could be the latest in that. Uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind he can play in the NHL. Now, well, you mentioned Milbury. Was he the, the, the GM that traded Stretty? Oh, he might have been. Uh, there might have been that awkward conversation about how we love you and then they traded him the next day. I'm not sure, <laughs> not sure if it was him. Uh, I, I kind of just touched on it there, uh, Al, that I, I like the little bit of the mayhem. And I, earlier this week on Twitter, I, I threw it out there. And it might not have been the best time. It might have been a little bit trolling. But looking back at it, James Neal for Milan Lucic, who won the trade? Well, Calgary. The Calgary <laughs> won the trade. And, and I'll tell you why. Not only did they get the pick, and they shouldn't have, but I don't know what the math was being used by, <laughs> by the Flames. But they found a way to uh, re-unlock Milan Lucic. And, and look, I'm not arguing that Lucic, Lucic did not play well here. And I'm a Lucic fan. I, 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 uh, I watched him really his whole career. And when he was here, he had a very difficult time keeping up with the pace and doing things that he normally did really well. Lucic is a really good puck passer. He can pack, pass the puck really well. He's doing it again in Calgary. And they're, they're using him in a really unique way. They're using him uh, at even strength, and they're, they're uh, uh, sort of spotting him in spots. And, and I don't think he's I – I think he's, what, 33 years old now? I don't think he's uh, um, got 10 years left. But the way they're using him now, he could probably score 15 goals this season, be around even plus minus, and and really help them. And and not even just on even strength, but he seems to help them a little bit on the power play too. They've they've sort of reinvented Milan Lucic, and they've done a good job. Al, uh, now that I've asked those questions, a couple more for you. Do the Oilers get back on track and make the playoffs? Yes. 
Yeah, I don't think there's much doubt of that. They're, the, here's, here's the blessing and the curse of the Edmonton Oilers. No matter how bad it gets, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are going to scream through February and March and just absolutely flatten the competition. And so they're going to win a lot of games for the, just because of those two guys and decent goaltending. The problem is that doesn't mean they're going to be any more successful in the playoffs. That will come only if uh, Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard and Duncan Keith and Cody Ceci can play responsible two-way defense and offense and finish above 500 at five on five. And that's the whole ball game. They need goaltending and they need two pairs that can play effectively against the NHL's best. And right now they don't have that. And they really haven't had it since, well, for five years or so. They had it in 16-17 before Andres Sekiro went down. Now, the big question and the real reason I had you on, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to the playoffs. Are we going to get another miracle run by the Birds? No. No, I wish I wish I could say yeah, but they've got. You know what the problem is? They're 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 the kind of roster that has lots of really great old guys, but they're too old. Kelsey Fletcher Cox, I love those players, but they're not going to be able to stay healthy and effective all through the long playoff run. And they've got great young players too. I love the quarterback Hurts. I love Smith the the, the wideout. Their running game when it's when it's healthy is is just. Even when it's not healthy, it's doing well because of that O line. But I think they're I think they'll be formidable next year. This year they're probably gonna exit fairly quickly. Now I have a question for you. Yeah, hit me. Do the Chargers win on the weekend? <laughs> Al, I'm so nervous. I haven't been this nervous about a football game in so long. Like, I, I, the Chargers are actually getting healthy, which is nice to see. And and they've had uh lots of injuries, there's been COVID concerns, and they're I think I think they're just going to be down like one player going into this game from from who should be out there. So, I hey, I'm I'm optimistic, I'm confident, but they've broke my heart so many times. I can't really trust them. I think you know how that feels. <laughs> I, you know, as you were saying that, I'm like, that's the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just going to say because hey, Jalen Hurts, like when they roll him out, he looks almost unstoppable. You've got uh, Devontae Smith there, the receiver. I mean, that that was a no-brainer when the team selected him, and I was a yeah. little bit nervous because the past two drafts, and I think we've talked about it. You could have had Justin Jefferson, you guys could have had DK Metcalf, but yeah, you went in a different direction with your choices at receiver. But you guys nailed it with this one. You got the quarterback, you got the receiver, you got the running backs. And I'm happy that the Eagles made it because I, I did not think that was going to happen. And who's the coach? Sirianni? Yeah. An old Chargers receivers coach. So I, I have to cheer for him just a little bit. Uh, Al, thank you for doing this today. I really appreciate it. It was a good chat, Connor. Thank you. All right. Awesome, Al. Thanks. And I guess I'll be giving you a call back in a couple hours here. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Call this number if this, if it sounds okay. We'll run with this if that's okay. Yeah, I'll do that for sure. All right, sounds good. Thanks, man. Thanks, Al. Bye. Bye, bye. There you go. That is Alan Mitchell, the host of the Lowdown with Low Tide on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. until noon. You can also get his writing at the Athletic. Give him a follow on Twitter at Low Tide. And that's going to do it for another edition of the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Once again, if you're going to sign up with DraftKings, make sure to use promo code THPN when you do so and do so responsibly for the Edmonton Oilers. Offer a couple days set to take on the Ottawa Senators on a Monday night as we discussed earlier on in the show. Of course, the Sens uh, had a couple games postponed in Vancouver and Seattle, so we'll wait and see what happens as we tape this on a Friday afternoon. 
The game is set to go, but that could change very quickly in the current landscape of the NHL. Uh, as we mentioned also, Dylan Holloway did practice on a Friday with the uh, top line there. Warren Fogel and Leon Dreisaitl. Kyrie Yamamoto testing positive for COVID, it looks like. So the team might be without him for a little bit. He was taken off the ice at practice. And uh, yeah, well, so we'll see what happens here. It's going to be very interesting for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, not many games coming up in the next couple of weeks here. So I don't know if that means a coaching change. I don't know if that means uh, start over and try to figure things out. But it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, very interesting. Thank you so much for tuning into this edition of the Other Connor Podcast. I'm Connor Halley. Give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.